Hey, dealmakers, welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Let's do this. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. You know, a lot of people ask me, hey, Michael, what do you do in your spare time? So I run two companies. We got the Michael Blank Brands, which is the educational company where we teach people how to syndicate, raise capital, buy apartment buildings to become financially free. But we also operate Nighthawk Equity, which is our investment company where we actually buy apartments and other real estate assets. The third thing, though, after that is I am the chairman of an organization called Uganda Counseling and Support Services. It's a mouthful, but it's a organization in Uganda. And they really have transformed since 2011, a very small rural community consisting of about 150,000 people, at least now. And that's what I spend a lot of my time on. And I want to tell you about that just to answer the question. It's a, it's a meaningful part of my, my life. And to help me answer that today is going to be my partner, Drew Niffen, who I'll bring it on in a second here. Drew also supports the organization. So we're going to get that in a second because I think it's good. It, it might be interesting to you to find out what Michael does in his spare time. And you might get kind of excited about it or maybe not. But in the meantime, I want to shout out Rod, who is in France, who left us a review on Amazon for The Yellow Book. He said, this is a good book for beginners. It's clear and the path is set. That's exactly right. It is a book for beginners. If you're interested in syndication, raising capital, buying apartment buildings so that you become financially free and you want to find out how you can do it without having years of real estate investing experience or a million dollars in the bank, this is a great book. So check it out. It's on Amazon. It's called Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing, the same title as this podcast. So check it out. And if you have read the yellow book, leave us a review. We'll love to call you out. Also, it helps us, uh, other readers, find the book more on Amazon as well. We have success stories, success highlights. People are still doing deals. Chance Ireland closed on a 24-unit in Springfield, Illinois. It's a $1.3 million opportunity for him. And he was working with us in our program here. His mentor which was, was David. And if you are interested in mentoring, you want to set up a call for us, then go to the michaelblanc.com forward slash call and just a no obligation call. And through those questions with our advisor, it'll become clear on what you want, whether financial freedom is really for you. And maybe if we can help, we'll provide some resources for you. That's the michaelblanc.com forward slash call. All right, with that, let's bring on our co-host today, my partner and Nighthawk, Drew Niffen. What's going on? Hey, Michael. Good to be here, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So what's new in the investing world? My goodness, there's always new things going on. But I think really the, the, the main new thing has been the economic news that's come out recently that has been great news for the markets and especially for the debt markets, right? So we've sort of gotten a hold on inflation, we think. Consumer spending is down, which is a good thing, ironically. And as a result, interest rates in the last month have come down by about 50 basis points or half a percentage point. And on top of that, the bank's perception of risk has softened a little bit and they're lowering their spreads a little bit. So you have these two things coming together, lowering the effective rates that we're getting, which is welcome relief after 21 months of being pressed and pushed. And you're starting to see some optimism in the markets and people starting to lean in toward the markets again. It's the beginning of what you often hear as green shoots happening right now. So half a point doesn't sound like much, but is, is it? It is and it isn't. Right. In the, in the grand scheme of things, half a point when rates have gone up three, four points in the last couple of years isn't a huge thing. But we have a, something called momentum in our industry. And either the momentum is working against you or it's working for you. 
And the big deal is the psychology of the market. And as things start to swing back toward positive, even if it's only a symbolic 50 basis point change, it really changes whether people are leaning into and pursuing the market. Well, that is exciting because there's been a lot of the opposite of optimism, more like pessimism and gloom and doom. And just the you know, possibility of lower interest rates is, is massive. I, mean, I, I just always felt that 2024 was going to be a stabilization of interest rates. I believe that's, that interest rates are going to continue staying high for a while. But that is an environment where inflation rates have gone up like 10 times in a row. And that has created a lot of fear, not just in buyers, but also in lenders. Like how has this rise in interest rates really impacted the lending environment? Right. I mean, they've gone from they've gone from offense to defense. Right. They've gone from just we need to issue out money and get money working for us to making sure they don't lose capital, making sure that the assets that's securing the loans are are strong. Right. So banks have gotten very defensive, much harder to work with. Loan proceeds have been lower the last two years. So it makes me think of the phrase that we often hear, which is be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. And that was a phrase that became famous by our friend Warren Buffett. And his partner, as you know, Charlie Munger, just passed away this past week, where here we are in early December of 2023. But that guy was a huge influence on our business and how we think. Well, that's exactly right. I quote Buffett a lot because he really buys high-quality assets at reasonable prices, which is kind of what we do. We buy, we buy high-quality value-add properties at reasonable prices, and then we improve them. And that's kind of what, what, what Buffett and Munger have done. And I really love that philosophy. And I think one of the things that Munger was, was quoted for saying is, you know, be prepared to wait if necessary. And I also like that because I feel like we're kind of in a waiting pattern, holding pattern right now. Yeah, there is. In a perfect world, we would love to buy a deal, say, once a quarter, right? But we haven't bought a deal in over a year, right? And the answer is because we just can't find deals that work. And we're not going to push to get a deal if it doesn't make sense. So we're trying to practice that Munger philosophy of waiting. Yeah, exactly right. Well, like I said earlier, some some people have asked me what I do in my spare time, and I want to talk about that today. I brought on Drew to help me help me with that. I mean, the, the truth is, count of my hours. I think last year I spent 163 hours uh, in the year with uh, Uganda Counseling and Support Services. I've been there twice over the years, 2014, 2018, and I'm due to go in February again. And I, I donated over six figures to this organization, so it's a meaningful part of my life. Drew, I've told you about it over the years. You're now supporting one of the schools there at a fairly high level. Thank you for that. Yep. And I just want to share with you why that's such a meaningful. I mean, talk about investing all day long, and maybe I'll mention my family here and there, but I really don't talk about that. We actually talked about a dealmaker live last last year. We raised like $25,000, which was awesome because I never thought of raising money at a live event before. And this is not a, a capital raising kind of podcast, but it's it's. I think it might be interesting for you to, to, to why I do this. And maybe here's the thing, Drew, that thing about financial freedom is financial freedom really opens you up to live more of a life of significance, whatever that means for you, really pursuing passions that may not generate any kind of revenue to volunteer or pursue hobbies that instead of making money, cost money. And I think it really opens me up to do some, some of this work as well. And it might trigger some enthusiasm to pursue other things outside of just money or your job or even your, your family. So that's why I brought you on, Drew, to kind of draw things out of me. I'd love to talk about what we're doing with Uganda. Yeah, absolutely, Michael. Thanks so much. So just Give us some background. How did you hear about UCSS? What is it? And how long have you been involved in it? Yeah, so it's UCSS at the heart. It's kind of a mission to improve the quality of life and spread God's love in very remote communities in Uganda. And the way they do it is a very holistic approach where they address everything from fresh water, medical care, and education in an environment. So imagine this. These communities are so remote, there is no fresh water. 
There's no electricity, no access of any kind to any kind of medical care. There's no schools. You know, people are unable to provide for themselves and their families. There's no work, not enough food. People are dying every day. People are hungry. They don't have water. They die of, you know, waterborne diseases and essentially hopelessness. And so UCSS engages with communities like that. And then we apply kind of our unique methodology to engaging with those communities that have never seen anything else before. And at the heart of the philosophy, which is really why I like Uganda so much as UCSS, is that it's very important that we help the people help themselves rather than doing things for them. So in other words, at the core of the mission is to help them build self-sufficiency. And the second thing I like about them is the holistic approach. We talked about different kinds of ministries, including water, education, economic development, that kind of stuff. And, and that gives Everton an opportunity to kind of share the story about, you know, some God who loves these people. And they're like, why are you, why are you here? Why would there be anyone who loves us? We've been forgotten for, for decades. And that, that gives them a hope that they've never experienced this before. And so, you know, we found that this approach has worked repeatedly in multiple communities. So today we're impacting about 100,000, 150,000 people. And the mission really is to kind of replicate what we've done, you know, all throughout Uganda over the decades. Yeah, Michael, I remember that when you and I first met a little bit shy of a decade ago, I had just been to Uganda and lived there for a summer and right. had similar experiences and similar aha moments. You realize the world's a lot bigger than the, uh, the you know, where you're from in the United States. So incredibly powerful. Tell me more about how UCSS began. How did it begin? It started in uh, Dr. Ronald Kaluuya, and he grew up in a town called Jinja. It's about by car, maybe three, four hours away from this area here. It's about two hours outside of Kampala, about north, what's that, eastish. And yep. so he tells a story. One day he complained to his mom about his life in Jinja and how about he didn't have shoes to go to school. They had holes or something like that. He, he kept getting malaria and the medicine made him feel sick. And he complained to his mom. His mom said, son, you don't know suffering. Let me show you what real suffering is like in a place I grew up. So one day he went, she took him out there. And so Ronald traveled to this community called Baliki, which is where we're active right now to attend his grandfather's funeral. And he was shocked at what he saw there because again, people have, were much worse off than what he experienced. They had no access to clean water. They, they sent their kids or wives far away to fetch water from dirty ponds that were shared with you know cattle. You know They had no access to malaria medicine, which cost like three bucks. And someone in the community was dying every day. There was a funeral every single day. A dominant religion was not Christianity or any other organized religion. It was actually witchcraft and voodoo. And he remembers it was one of the darkest places he's ever seen. So he later went to college and became a CPA along with his wife, but he never forgot what he experienced. And so 2007 is when I met him in the United States. He was chaperoning a kind of a, a children's choir. And he told me his story about how he wanted to get an advanced degree from the US because it was the best way he felt he could serve the people in Uganda. And I kind of, I kind of was like, yeah, it's kind of a dumb idea. But it wasn't a dumb idea. And after going there, I now know that people with degrees there actually are the, are the CEOs and heads of state in there. And without a degree, you're really no one in Uganda. So this was very, very strategic on his part. He got a college degree in Lindsey Wilson College in Kentucky, and that's where he started the board. I joined that board and we raised like $100,000 in 2011. And he did, in fact, then go back to Uganda. He could have very easily have, instead of going back to Uganda, like he said, just brought his family to the United States, which is what most people would do in his position and he did not. And I remember his first picture that he sent through was this bucket buried in the ground. And he said, this is my bathroom tonight. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, this guy's willing to do what I'm not willing to do, right? And so the only thing I can do is support him financially at this point. 
And that really makes a great partnership with someone like, like Ronald. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I've seen it myself. A lot of people, once they get the chance to come to the States, they come, they bring their whole family and they sort of leave their old world behind. So there's a lot of character in that for Ronald. Michael, there's a lot of organizations that do things that are similar, freshwater, housing, medical. So what, in your experience, makes UCSS unique? What makes it better than the other organizations? Why have you poured 163 hours of your time into this last year and in previous years as well? I don't, I don't know if they're, if it's necessarily better, but I mean, there's, there's, I have been, I wasn't the chairman of a board, but I was a, a board member. So I have some experience with, with working inside a nonprofit. So one of the thing that's, that the UCS is different is its holistic approach. Now, typically, you know, from an entrepreneurial or business perspective, you focus on one thing and you really focus on that one thing and do it really good. And Ronald convinced me that this was not a good idea because you can't just evangelize a someone while they're dying. They're not going to be receptive, okay? On the other hand, it's better to now give them fresh water, which is great, but not when they're dying of malaria. And 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 if you can you can solve the malaria problem, okay, but it's it's no good if people don't know how to grow crops and essentially die of starvation. Okay. So I I got his point that we needed to address all these things, so we decided to really focus geographically, really is what we did. But one of the approaches that does is really holistic and I'm, I'm not knocking any organization that is focused just on fresh water or evangelism. I'm just saying that is something that uh, UCS has decided not to do. And I really like that. The other one is this philosophy of really helping uh, people help themselves. This is really different than a lot of, especially Western-based nonprofits who typically like to do handouts. Just And, and there are situations that require handouts, especially in emergency situations. But in development situations, they're not emergencies. We just tend to simply want to do things for people. And my experience in studying this more is that it really does exactly the opposite. It disempowers the local people that we make them believe that they're not good enough. They need us to help them. And that's what we didn't want to do. The downside of this approach is that it took a lot longer. In fact, it probably took, I don't know, three, four solid years before people started to adopt the things that we were training all of our, you know, even how to build a house, how to maintain a well, how to grow crops. All that stuff took three or four long years, and the board got kind of frustrated with the apparent lack of progress. But then, after four years, people started to actually adopt these things, and then we moved into another community. And the cool thing about it, the adoption rate wasn't three or four years, it was like three or four months. And because we spent so much time cultivating the local villagers and leadership and engaging them versus doing things themselves. And so we have found that this approach really leads to long-lasting transformation. If we, Even if we were to pull out tomorrow, that area would never be uh, the same. And it powers, empowers the people to become self-sufficient. So those are really some of the, the things that really attract me uh, to this. And again, they're just very stewards of our, of, our, of our financials. They're tracked very carefully. And it's almost like a single dollar is like almost 10 times that much in Uganda. And so I just love supporting that organization. They get stuff done too. I love it. I know I know I've seen that in in talking to you how much they can get done, how much they focus. What's the what's the vision? So you're talking about where they've gone, you know, you stick 4 years to build a house, now it's 4 months the adoption process has sped up. Looking forward, what's the vision? Where does UCSS want to go? Yeah, so we have learned a lot. It's it's to some degree kind of learned on the job by doing. So, you know, we started a school, okay? And so we built, you know, a, a classroom building. You know, and then all of a sudden we we realized, oh my gosh, well, we needed probably some toilets and, a, and a, probably some water. Gosh, we need some power eventually. So how are we going to do power? We need solar panels. And then we discovered down the road that, oh my gosh, 
especially in the high school, where girls were just simply dropping off because they were they were uh, on the way to school, were getting kidnapped or they were being bribed to marry, or they were kept home by their families that we needed to build, you know, a dormitory. Like these are all things we just didn't know up up front, and so now we do. You know, doing over ten years, we kind of now know what a successful medical clinic looks like. You know, we know how many doctors and nurses it takes, how many supplies we need, what kind of equipment, how much it costs and operate. And so we know we know the same thing for a primary school, elementary school, middle and high school, or even for building a church or administering a microfinance program or for drilling and maintaining wells. So we've kind of now developed this repeatable model. And I love repeatable models, Drew, as you know, blueprints, baby. I love that. You know, we have like the blueprint. And so the idea, and we've, we've moved this now into different, into different areas. So we built a high school in different area. Uh, as you know, you're supporting a new school that we, uh, that we expanded outside, and then we're leveraging what we learned on the first school in that one. So we're accelerating the the, the ramp up <clears throat> with this thing. And so we think now that we can replicate this model to other communities and, yep. and do it much faster. So you may already know this, but financial freedom is my obsession. I spent years testing out different ventures in my pursuit of financial freedom. I've done day trading, owned restaurants, flipped houses, done software. But eventually, I discovered multifamily real estate syndication. And it's really the only proven way to become financially free with real estate. After doing my first syndication deal in 2011, I was hooked. I started buying bigger and bigger apartment complexes, raising more money. We now own over $350 million in assets. And I want to help you do the same. We teach people from all walks of life how to achieve financial freedom with multifamily real estates. And our students have acquired over $1.5 in apartment assets so far. Complete beginners have done their first deal and quit their job, typically within 12 months of working with us, some as early as six months. We've helped experienced syndicators who have done a few deals scale their portfolio to 1,000 units or $10 million raised while working less. Now, if you're looking to do your first syndication deal or you've already done a few and you're looking to scale, but maybe you're struggling to get to the next level, let's talk. Go to themichaelblank.com forward slash call and book a free strategy session with one of our advisors. So what we're going to do in that call is we're going to talk about your goals, where you are now, and put together a custom plan to help you get to that next level, whether it's your first deal or a 1,000 units. And here's the thing. If we decide to work together, then great. Otherwise, you're going to gain an incredible clarity from talking to one of our advisors during that call. Either way, you win, and there's no obligation. So go ahead and book that call right now. Go to themichaelblank.com and book that free strategy session because here's the thing. I really want to imagine how your life will change when you achieve that next level of where you want to be. It's financial freedom, quitting your job for the first time, or building generational wealth with you know 1,000 units or $10 million raised. Whatever that is in the realm of real estate and apartment buildings, we want to help you get there. We can help you make that reality for you and your family. So go ahead and book that call, themichaelblank.com forward slash call. Talk to you soon. You know, Michael, one of the reasons that I got behind UCSS alongside you is because I saw so much of successful entrepreneurship being done inside UCSS just in a sort of non-for-profit model, right? So you find the capable person, and in this situation, it's Ronald, right? And then you find that person who has a passion and a heart and a willingness to work hard to solve discrete issues, right? So what you just talked about, you don't have all of the solutions from day one organization, but you wanted to build a school. You find there's an issue with girls being abducted on the way to school. You solve it with uh, building a dormitory, right? It's, so that's sort of... Go, yeah, it's I, mean, funny. I just I just love how you see the instincts of entrepreneurship happening inside UCSS and you have a capable person. <laughs> and when you marry those two persons, 
that makes me excited to get engaged. Yeah, that's funny you say that because I consider myself Ronald an entrepreneur. It's just he does it in a nonprofit, in, in a, but he really is. He's resourceful. He's got leadership issues. In fact, I talked to him a couple of years ago about what we're doing with EOS, implementing EOS. He implemented it. He goes, oh man, absolute game changer, right? So he's applying a lot of the same principles we can do in business in a nonprofit environment. The, the problematic is exactly the same. You know, he doesn't have revenue per se from a product, but if he doesn't ensure that capital is being raised, in other words, if the business doesn't have revenue, you can't pay the teachers. You can't buy medical supplies. So he's got to deal with all the same things that we're dealing with just in a nonprofit environment. Michael, one of, one of the things that, you know, a careful or one might say a skeptical mind says is, why do you trust this organization? How do you know they're going to treat your dollars well? How do you know this guy's not, you know, <laughs> taking advantage of it and buying nice houses or lots of cars, you know, when you're not looking? Why are you putting, as you said, six figures into this organization? What's your fundamental trust behind it? Yeah. Well, I've been to this house. It's not, it's nice, but it's, it's not, you know millions of dollars nice not even close but to answer your question i mean here's the thing when you're trying to when you're donating money you want to know two things well I, ideally what you want is you want to know you're making an impact number one and you really want to want to know how is your money being spent and if you know how the money is being spent now you can also kind of measure impact and so i don't love personally uh, donating to very large organizations you know multi-gazillion because i don't really know where more money is, go is going i mean it, it could be that all of it or most of it is going to some kind of overhead you know, office buildings, et cetera, et cetera. Overhead is necessary, especially to administer the organization and to fundraise. The marketing is is critical. But but what I the reason I like, first of all, I think to me it's always a person. It's like it's like in a, in a syndication partnership, right? Is who you partner with. That level of trust has to be there. So I like supporting small organizations where I know the person, like I know the head guy or the head gal. And I just really like them. I trust them. I think they're good people. I've been around them for a little bit. And Ronald is, is one of those people. But one of the things that we do well is there's a high degree of accountability in many different ways. You know, how we spend our money. We do have debt. We love non-designated operating funds. It's, it's, a, it's the hardest thing to raise. Everybody wants to build something. No one wants to actually pay for the operation. Okay, super irritating. But we have we do have designated funds that are guarded very carefully. So sometimes we'll have hundred thousand dollars in designated funds reserved for this one thing, and sometimes we're short for to to fund an operational budget because of a separation. And number two is we really measure the impact. So especially since uh, Ronald started implementing EOS, he's tracking everything. So every ministry has its own scorecards, its own rocks. And he puts out these really elaborate reports by ministry that shows you exactly how many people have used a particular well, right? How many people are going to school? How many people are serving a medical clinic? So let's say you want to support the medical clinic. You would get a very detailed report of what that ministry is doing and how it's growing year, year over year. So I really like how it measures the impact. So I think just UCS is kind of a rare organization in, in the sense that my experience has been the level of accountability has been very low. And also I don't, I can't really measure my impact. So those are kind of two, that's two, two things that UCS does differently. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what's the biggest need for UCSS right now? What's the next thing that it needs to get where it wants to go? Yeah. So I think based, based, based on our vision, so we're really looking for what I call legacy partners who want to you know, adopt all or part of a ministry and support it for three to five years. So, you know, let's say you're you're called to support the medical ministry, your medical doctor, or you just really like that kind of ministry. You know, that ministry costs about $53,000 per year, and that covers the doctors, the nurses, medical supplies. So for just $53,000 a year, that medical ministry serves 4,000 people. 
Now, if you do the math on that, it's like $13 per person, okay? It's like for every visit, it's $13. And, and these are basic, like life's changing. People don't go in there because they have like COVID, honestly. They go in there because they have malaria or they're dying of malnutrition or something really bad. So for $13, you know, you're not just making someone feel a little better. You're like saving people's lives. And, yeah. and so kind of we're looking for partners like that. At the end of the day, you can always support an organization at multiple le levels, whether it's $53,000 for three to five years, or you're sponsoring a student for $30 a month. So we have something for, for everyone. The bottom line is that your US dollar is literally like one for 10. I mean, like, for example, we, we build a, a, medic, a medical, a school building that houses, you know, I don't know, 80 students or something. It costs like $15,000, like including the windows and the roof. That's insane to me. Forget one to 10, it might be worse. I mean, I don't know what a school building costs in the United States. Maybe one to 10, maybe it costs 150 grand if you use, you know, cheaper materials. But the point is that US dollars go so far in Uganda. That's amazing. Yeah. Awesome, Michael. Well, how if people are like, hey, I love this. I, I'd love to get involved in this too. How can people get involved with what's happening at UCSS? I, I actually put up a, a webpage about this at themichaelblanc.com forward slash Uganda. And you can learn more about the, the, the mission. There's some links to the Uganda UCSS website. And there's also a, a place where you can sponsor a student. And it's really cool. They have like different students with their, their photo and their, and their name, and you can sponsor them for $30, you know, $50, $100 per month, and you can actually start a letter correspondence with them, so it's really cool. That's the easiest way to get involved, and so you can access that from themichaelblanc.com forward slash Uganda, and if you click through to the uh, Uganda website there, just hop on their newsletter. Ronald does a really, really good job also on social media to kind of post videos and stuff what's going on. You'll get these reports, and you can just kind of spy on us for a little while and and support us that way. Thanks, Michael. I know that when you and I realized we both had traveled to Uganda when we first met each other, that was a real connection point. And it's continued to be something that you and I talk about uh, over the years. And it's really cool for us to get to share this with our audience right now. So thanks so much for your involvement on all these years with this. And uh, thanks for sharing more about it with us today. Well, Drew, thanks for the opportunity to talk about UCSS. Like I said, I normally don't want to do, uh, like to like to do it. And people said, why don't you talk more about that? And so I have done that. Thank you for your prompting and thanks for the opportunity to talk about that. So thanks again for listening here and catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by downloading Michael's free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Head over to themichaelblock.com slash ebook to get the free training.